Come on. Welcome to the Bike Run Tristoke podcast. Talking cycling, running and triathlon. We get life outside. I'm Paul Ingpen, Editor-in-Chief of Triathlon SPR Magazine, Mountain Bike Magazine, Road Bike Magazine, and host of the Race to Stanford, Blue Lagoon, and Sprint Triathlons. We'll be hosting conversations with some interesting people who like to bike, run, swim, and multi-sport in general, getting to know them, getting to know what makes them tick, giving advice, and basically celebrating everything that's outside. This podcast was powered by Zwift, the fitness app that turns indoor riding into a game. Explore endless roads, race riders from all over the world, and boost your fitness with monthly training plans and structured workouts. Join the world's training playground, where fun is fast. Go to Zwift.com and start your free trial. Matt Troutman, Anna Watkinson, South Africa's golden, I'm not going to call you a couple because you're just friends, <laughs> but you are currently owning everything. I mean, I, I can't remember when somebody else actually won something important in the last I know we haven't had much racing since lockdown, but everything we've had since has been owned by you guys, certainly on the ultra-distance uh, uh, level. So you both share a very fascinating history. I've known you both since you were amateurs athletes. Um, I think, Anna, the first time I, I stalked you on the bike, on a motorbike during Ironman, when you had your little bike with your flowers all over, with the cone of flowers, and you were looking at me like, who's this creep? And I was like, I've just heard too much about you. I don't see much of the Joburg people. And you are far in front, and I, I've been heard you've got a lethal run, and I was like, Jesus, this is Anna Watkinson, who I think Reynold Tissinka told me was the real deal. So I got to know you a little bit, and like you were sort of quietly understated. You still are. Um, and same thing with the captain sitting next to you. I've known him since he was an amateur, and I knew his brother as a photographer for mountain biking, and he the one day was shooting in, in PE and said, I said, why are you, who are you shooting? Why are you here? He said, no, I'm just shooting my brother. I said, a guy like you, why aren't you shooting the race? He said, no, I'm here for my butt. And I said, well, where is he? And next thing he stood up and he went, Ch-ch-ch. and I was like, why are you shooting? Who are you shooting there? He said, that's my brother. I said, no, dude, that's the top 20. All the pros are there. He said, no, I promise, that was my brother. And that's how I learned that the, the captain had come out of solo around the world sailing. And I got to meet him afterwards, and I've known you both since you were amateurs. You've both gone on to turn pro. You both set the world on fire. You've been overseas. You've been ranked. You've won races. You've you've been amazing as a father and a full-time working uh, career lady. And you both then had debilitating, life-threatening, potentially, you know, fatal crashes, um, both in training. Matt on the bike in Franschhoek uh, three years ago, three and a half, and Anna, you just six months ago. Both of you have been through hell, and you both bounce back. And the point of this talk is to ask, how do you come back from there? Why do you come back from there? And how other people who might have a sore toe, a strained cough, or something in their life that's bugging them, and all they want to do is compete, I think we can all learn a lot from you guys. So we want to talk to you about how and why. So perhaps, Matt, you can start by just telling us a little bit about your relatively short triathlon career and the impact that that accident had on your life. Yeah, well, thanks for the thanks for the intro, Paul. That was uh, <laughs> comprehensive. Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, I've known you um, since I started the sport here in South Africa, which was yeah back in 2013. And yeah, I think that was the first and last race that my brother um, <laughs> went to. Oh, really? I don't Scared think I've off. seen him at a triathlon since then. But uh, well, he was the top dog brother at that stage. I mean, he was he was the doozy guy. He was the shoot, he was the, he was the man. And suddenly, his younger brother came through and started showing him up. And then apparently, the third brother is even more talented. <laughs> 
yeah, he's branched out into adventure racing now, Calvin. Um, so, yeah, I found a new passion there. And still winning every time um, trial pedal. So the, the Troutmans have definitely got a genetic, free, a freakish genetic stra in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, yeah, it's been a journey um, from that yeah first Ironman in, in South Africa in 2013 and yeah, turned pro the the next year, 2014, like you're saying, it was a it was a quick quick rise to the top. Um, the top, I mean, quick rise to becoming a pro at least. Um, One year, I'd say that's pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I'd come from from sailing, and um, it was sort of a question at the time on whether I'd go back to sailing or carry on with the triathlon. And I mean, I wasn't going to do another year as a as an age grouper without doing any other work so I thought let's just give it a full go and try and join the pro ranks and yeah I mean it went well it was it was a good year that that first year as a pro 2014 won Ironman Wales um joined up with Brett Sutton and um was with him for the next few years and yeah just cruised around the world and um was loving the sports until living the dream baby absolutely <laughs> yeah until uh, until the accident Tell us a little bit about the accident. I mean, we've all got visuals of poor old lady blinded in the light and saying, oh, my God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you lying there. But it was, it, I mean, once we heard the extent of it and the fact that you were having rods shoved in your spine, it became less of a light moment and more of this could happen to anybody. Yeah, so it was early 2017. I think it was just before uh, 70.3 East London. I think it was a weekend before, two weekends before. It's pretty much my last long training ride. I was based out in Stellenbosch at the time and was heading towards Franschhoek to do some hill reps. And yeah, in the in the yellow shoulder on the road, um, in the TT position, just head down going with the traffic. And yeah, the next thing I knew, I'd I didn't even realize I'd been hit. I actually thought I hit a pothole or something because I was just found myself flying through the air and then it obviously happened so quick and on the deck. Yeah, I mean, you can tell straight away that something isn't right. And yeah, I just lay there, didn't try and move. And fortunately, an ambulance came pretty quick. Yeah, took me to the mediclinic in Stellenbosch and the other result was uh, two burst uh, vertebrae. Uh, got very close to the spinal cord, so... Yeah, in hindsight, I mean, I got a, I was super lucky to come away without any um, spinal cord damage. But yeah, they had to do a multiple level spinal fusion in the lumbar spine um, to stabilize the area because the, the ligaments in between all of those, uh, in between the best uh, vertebrae had, had torn. So yeah, those ligaments can't, can't be repaired and the only way they can um, stabilize the area is with a, with a fusion. So. Um, yeah, it was a long journey coming back from that, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I remember the beginning, I think I've told you this before, the likes of Jan van Rooyen, the 2000 Ironman South Africa winner, the first Ironman here, he said, this guy's not coming back to the sport. I mean, there were a lot of people who said, I don't think this guy's going to certainly not run again. Yeah, I mean, the the surgeon um, there in Stellenbosch, he had done, I mean, he had obviously done a lot of... Um, those fusions, but he had uh, operated on quite a few sportsmen, mainly rugby players who had had um, vertebrae damage and like scrums or being tackled and whatnot. And um, yeah, he was saying they normally don't get back into the sport, but thankfully triathlon's not that uh, contact heavy. Um, thankfully, you're not normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't know. We don't have to 
um, scrum or tackle any 100kg athletes at least, but some can be a bit aggressive. But <laughs> other than that, yeah, I mean, I think I got away where the fusion is in the lumbar spine. It's, I mean, probably one of the better places you could uh, you could have it. There's not um, too much flexion in that area, so I can still get into a relatively aero position on the TT bike. Um, the biggest thing to overcome was um, just the increased load on the discs and the muscles and everything around that because you obviously don't have that shock absorption from um, those discs in the spine. So, yeah, the running has definitely been the the hardest thing to to get right and it, i mean it still is a balance i mean the body's obviously adapted it's been a few years now and i mean it's i'd say i'm almost back to normal but um yeah i still have to sort of be conscious of it um just with that increased load um yeah it's it definitely puts some more strain on the body but i mean the body's an amazing thing it uh, it adapts and um yeah you just live with this new normal the new normal eh and now it's another one of those. Um, so there was a lot of there was a lot of concern. We were in touch with Nicole a lot at the time, and you went through a lot of stress and pain. And would you come back? And what ifs, etc. And then you went on and won a few races in a lot of pain. I mean, we, you and I were in touch a lot. I had a spine fusion six months after yours, and I straight away headed to the gravity anti gravity treadmill because you told me that's how you came back, and it certainly helped me a hell of a lot to lighten the load of my legs, etc. So I was very in tune with you as because I was coming back in the same path. And every kind of looking at you, watching you on TV, as an example, in East London, knowing that you were absolutely dying in pain. I know you had sunglasses on and you, you've got that stoic race face of yours, but you must have really suffered. And, and I, I really had a question then is what's keeping this guy going? How are you racing against the likes of Stuart Murray at sub four minute Ks after a 90K monster bike? Where's this energy and motivation coming from? Yeah, that that race, yeah, East London, January 2018. I mean, I think in my mind it was such a such a milestone because that was the race I was training for just before the accident. And, you know, it was like the one year anniversary almost of the accident. So like I'd built it up so much in my in my head that this was my comeback. And I'd done a couple of races. Um Towards the end of 2017, I did your race, race to Stanford, which obviously isn't an easy one. But yeah, the level of of competition in East London was was definitely a step up, and yeah, and real I mean, money. I mean, that's that's international money. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I mean, I was going, I was going pretty well towards the end of the year of 2017 in terms of managing any pain or anything like that. And then, yeah, a few weeks before the East London race, I started. Um, getting like some sciatica pain, one of the discs in the, I think it was like L5 uh, vertebrae, it started to bulge a bit and was pushing up against some nerves in the back. So that was just, yeah, making my right leg go either like completely numb or just quite painful. And leading up to the race, I'd, I hadn't run much in the last couple of weeks. And even, I mean, I normally try and do a run the day before the race in the morning and I probably did about 10 minutes and then called it quits and I was like, no, this isn't going to happen. And I mean, my mindset at the end was at least just, just start. I mean, you know, see what happens, get in the swim and the bike and then, you know, you've got a valid excuse at least if it's, (laughs) if it doesn't go well after that. And yeah, I mean, race morning, the 
again, I tried to do some a bit of running up and down the pier, and it was still like super painful. And I think I saw yeah one of the one of the other guys, uh, forget his name, Belgian guy, <laughs> doing intervals like up and down the pier there in the morning, and I was just like, there's no way <laughs> I'm gonna be able to compete against that. But yeah, I mean, once the gun goes off and that adrenaline hits and I was like, I was most worried about the run into the water, which is normally like my strong point. But it's, yeah, it's amazing. No, once I can't remember, I still ran in fine into the water. Still one of the first guys in and yeah, pretty much just- Endorphins took over. Yeah, gritted it out and got through it and was in a good position coming off the bike. And yeah, it definitely wasn't my fastest run that I've ever done there, but managed to get through it. and. After that, I think I didn't run for the next month. <laughs> it was, well, the adrenaline wore off that evening, and um, uh, yeah, I was hobbling for the next to the next few days, and yeah, I didn't it run. Probably for a an while. indicator that you had a future in the sport. Is that kind of maybe when you decided to keep going, or yeah, well, actually, probably the opposite. It was more like okay, I've ticked the box. I've had my comeback race, uh, and if it's up. if it's going to be like that every time, <laughs> then there's just there's no way you could do that every race. I mean, just in terms of the training, you would never be able to get the run volume in. But yeah, thankfully it settled down and I did the full Ironman after that, which I hadn't done nearly enough running for. And that was the first full Ironman back, but it, at least it wasn't like super painful there. And then went back over to Europe and uh, joined up with Brett again. And he spoke some sense to me and just told me to back off a little bit on how much volume I was trying to do, like just made me see the light a little. And we restructured the training, more swimming and biking and yeah, just sort of made it work. And and since then it's been, yeah, it's just a case of managing it. But yeah, to be honest, the last couple of years, it's um, it's been nothing like that, that race in 2018. So you did have moments. I remember again, following you guys, because that's what we do is follow and report on you guys, because we haven't had too much depth in our profile from South African point of view. And in Dubai, I think, or Abu Dhabi, possibly, I know it was somewhere in that region, Middle East, you were in a good position off the bike and you suddenly went off the, the radar. And I think it was either you or Brett said, stop. I have a, I have a feeling uh, in the memory that Brett said, stop, not yeah, you. Yeah. So, so yeah, we know the captain is hard and the captain sails around the world on his own and doesn't really need external energies or pointers. I mean, but for him to stop you tells you that um, you must have been in a bad way. Yeah, that was actually 70.3 Rappersville in, um, in Switzerland. Oh, was it in Switzerland? So, okay. Yeah, that's why he was, he was on the course. Oh, okay. uh, and yeah, definitely not a good time to be going through that um, sort of phase. There was, I think that was 2018 as well. It might have been 2019, I can't remember. But yeah, I'd, I'd flown over, again, like long haul flights over and uh, the back had flared up a bit and that sciatic issue was uh, was giving me some trouble again. So and, you've had serious ups and downs um, in the last four years, huh? Yeah, I mean, one thing, yeah, I just haven't been as consistent as I used to be. Like before I could just, you know, I was pretty consistent throughout, um, through the races. I, I don't think I DNF'd before that. And yeah, it took, I mean, it's taken a while to learn you know, what works and what doesn't work and like when to travel to a race, especially if it's, you're going to have to fly long beforehand. Mm, and, hours in the seat, yeah. Yeah, and how to, you know, like getting up on the plane, making sure you do your stretches and like what sort of um, stretches work to keep the back loose. And yeah, especially the lower back um, to stop that sciatica. So I do a lot of, 
yeah, like back extensions and just making sure those discs aren't going to like bulge out again. And, and yeah, once I've been managing that and the nerve pain hasn't been there, then yeah, it's, it's been very manageable. Who at the time told you to stop? You must have had doctors who consulted who said no more. Yeah, I mean, the, the surgeon who did the op was, yeah, he wasn't very positive in terms of getting back into the sport. Um, I mean, Brett himself, right in the beginning, I think he said, just look, just retire for a couple of years. Give yourself some time. He's seen it happen where you guys rush back into it. We'll do fine for a couple of races and then crash out and just get into a negative spiral and end up retiring after that. So he was trying to preempt that type of situation happening, which, yeah, to be honest, it nearly did, I think, after that, like, 2018 race. Um, yeah, probably, I mean, I wouldn't change anything in hindsight, but I definitely didn't need to push myself through that um, sort of level of pain just to complete one race. But um, as I said, I mean, I, I just built that one up in my head so much. Um, it, it, yeah, I think, to, to be honest, I think it's probably the opposite in, in terms of people being, you know, too positive and too pushy and saying, you can do this and you'll be back out there in no time at all. And, you know, that type of thing. And then when you're not performing and you're not getting out there and doing um, all these things that uh, they expect you to do, then I think that plays on your mind more. If people tell you, oh, I just quit, then, <laughs> you know, well, for me at least, nothing motivates me more. Um, mm -hmm. So, psychology. yeah, I think the danger is probably in people being, um, you know, trying to be too positive. Um, it sounds weird, but... Yeah, so how do you true. respond to emotional energy? I mean, there are people, my own mother was paralyzed in a car crash. She said the worst part of it was was people just being too positive. It was like, you're going to be fine, you'll be fine, at least you didn't die. Was Her biggest line was, at least you didn't die. She said, for Christ's sake, can someone just say, I'm really sorry if this happened, it must be really shit. Yeah. And she just got this constant, and then once she was out of their lives and sort of there wasn't positive news, people, people don't like bad news. They sort of vanished for the hills. And so... So how, as an athlete who's in the spotlight, in media, coverage, inspiring other people, when suddenly it's not going well, I, there must be a lot of emotional ups and downs of from hero to zero, am I here, what am I about, does the sport own me, or do I, am I, you know, is this my destiny, where am I, it must be very tough, and and, and are we going to talk about yours, I mean, I I just wonder, us, us mortals, we can go back to our work. We can put more time into the family. We can put more time into a work project. But this this is your work and it is your life. And and how 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 do you manage that emotional roller coaster? I mean, you did sail around the world for years, so you clearly are either a well-adjusted um, introvert who knows how to cope, an extrovert introvert who can talk to people comfortably in front of a camera, but he's much happier with a couple of seagulls and an empty sea, you know. You've coped and you've coped amazingly and maybe Nicole's seen the other side and the, the, the dark sides of when you are battling. Yeah. But yeah, how have you managed that? Uh, yeah, well, definitely introvert. Um, I think Anna knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't like crowds. <laughs> Don't like crowds. <laughs> Not much of a people person. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I mean, mentioning Nicole, she was, definitely my my rock through the whole um through the whole thing and i mean she still is um yeah very level-headed and yeah she put no pressure on me in terms of 
trying to come back. I mean, totally left it up to me to um, to do it if it was possible or if I wanted to or not. And yeah, I mean, she's an occupational therapist. Um, oh, so perfect. yeah, in terms of having the right spouse um, or her being yeah in that right in the right headspace, um, yeah, that definitely. I mean, it's it's always helped and. Yeah, again, like no expectation from her. And I mean, to be honest, um, it, yeah, I don't, I don't do the sport for like outside validation. And so I've always, yeah, been internally driven. And I think, yeah, through the sailing, it's probably like why I did single-handed sailing. Um, so yeah, I mean, the any negative press, I mean, like you're saying, when, you, when you're not doing well, no one really gives a shit about you. Um, yeah. It's, you, you are kind of forgotten. Um, but yeah, either way, it's, I don't think that has ever really gotten to me. It's more my my own expectations of, of where I should be and how I should be performing. Um, that's always what's what's driven me and um, yeah, pushed me to, to try and come back. I mean, in the beginning, it was just... I think I just said to myself, look, if you can just run again um, and run pain-free, then oh, at the time I said to myself, I'd be happy with the, I'd, you know, I could be, a, I could live with myself if I was just able to run again. And I mean, yeah, the thing is once you do that and once you start running a little quicker, then you start thinking about racing again. What and if- then when you're racing, you're thinking about winning again. And um, yeah, I mean, Definitely. And the time I probably reinforced to you how important it is to you and that you were into going back. Did you ever you, consider plan B? Oh, yeah, just every, I think every second day. I mean, I was, you know, it's such a like roller coaster of ups and downs with the recovery. Um, that, yeah, there was definitely more than one occasion that I was looking for sailing jobs online. Um, yeah, no, 100%. And I mean, yeah, even since every time. You know, you're injured, you do obviously question um, why you're doing this. But it, yeah, I mean, uh, I think like having that obstacle to overcome, at least for me personally, like it is such a big motivator to just try and prove that to yourself. I mean, when everything's going right, you got to find little things to keep you motivated and um, to keep you pushing when there's such a big obstacle to go overcome, um, like after a big accident, it's actually relatively easy to motivate yourself. And especially when you're seeing progress, mm. I mean, it's, yeah, it's obviously small ups and downs from day to day, but if the weekly or monthly progress is there, it's, uh, it's a huge motivator. And, um, I think you can actually, yeah, it can reignite your, your love for the sports and love for just or just that, like this passion for trying to overcome this obstacle and prove to yourself that you can actually do this. It's it's very rewarding when you mm. when you do get um, yeah to the end of the line and you know and your East London seventy point three or whatever your goal is. It's a um, huge personal reward. That's where it comes from. So it was just crossing my mind. And Anna, I mean, I, you've always been successful, and I think the reason you turned pro is because. You just ran out of amateurs to beat and you needed a new target. <laughs> That's what I think. I mean, you've got a flipping great job. You're successful. You've got it all and you still went pro, even though it means you have no social life, as you've told me. It's either work, train, race, or sleep, and there's zero time for anything else, which is incredible dedication. And I know it's real because I've been around you a long time. But somehow, this hideous experience of in December, which you need to talk us through now, 
has also, I feel like maybe it's just me, but there's a there's a renewed energy and perhaps you were just, it was getting to a stage where perhaps like Matt, did, you, you needed another big obstacle because people like you are just too comfortable with taking on smaller climbs and smaller mountains and suddenly this huge obstacle arrived in your life and you've I mean, you've come back from it and won three times in a row against people who didn't have any accident. You were racing with scars. You raced in, I mean, when I saw you take your top off to go and warm up, and I was like, she's still raw. I mean, Mark Allen always said, how do you know when you recovered from an Ironman? He said, when your sunburn burns off, you know, you're ready for it. And so that's a pretty good way of looking at it. Your body's renewing itself. You weren't renewed. You were covered in marks. I saw you on Clifton Beach. I said to you, well, clearly you're not going to go and try and race any of the races for points and you were like well we'll see maybe maybe i said what about sun city you said oh beginning of may that's a long shot and yet you still came and won the toughest ultra distance race at race to stanford three weeks before that i mean two weeks before then came and we at eight days later won another race yeah i mean before the may yeah i mean you're still in the, the triple crown huh? we're still waiting for the million dollars for that the, triple, the triple crown. crown absolutely yeah um she's getting it she won in bloomington wouldn't you come second no no it's Torpedo swim run. Oh, torpedo swim run. Yeah, Fair don't enough. forget yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah. No, so <laughs> you guys, are, I mean, you are actually, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's beautiful that you actually did that together because, I mean, the, the synergies in your life are very strong. Um, and I just take us back to your accident, where you were before that. You, I mean, you obviously went, became pro. You then, it's been a few years. You've had ups and downs overseas. You've done violence in South Africa. You've come back here and there. And I don't know if you've had a better time than now. And it's bizarre. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't even be racing. I mean, I had an incredible actually lockdown experience because I think for not having races, you actually got a big chunk of consistent training without any of the tape and recovery. So I was very lucky in terms of having an indoor trainer and a treadmill. So I ultimately just worked and trained throughout through lockdown, which was like my dream come true. Did you work from home? Even, uh, even we, in a big corporate like Absa? Yeah, we worked okay. from home. Okay. Um we're still on a rotational basis going into the office, but um, at the moment with the third wave coming up, we typically more um, work from home at the moment. I have so. to ask, did you ever work on the treadmill or on the, <laughs> on the trainer? I have, absolutely. <laughs> I've taken conference calls on both the trainer and um, on the treadmill. <laughs> Masking your heavy breathing. <laughs> What's incredible is actually how much you can take in during those calls, um, what you recall, because you're so super focused in those intervals. So it was quite incredible. I'd get off and I'd be like, how did I remember all of that? And you'd have another conference call and I would, you know, wrap a towel around myself sitting at my desk in the middle of the night um, because it was pretty intense. So I was in pretty good shape. I mean, I was probably running the best and biking the best I'd ever had. I mean, swimming, of course, we all took a bit of a knock there, but it had come back quite nicely. Um, and so I was excited. Did you do for, no swimming? Did you not have an elastic pool band in a tiny little hotel plunge pool or something? No, unfortunately not. But um, we were quite lucky. So that was level five. And as soon as we started opening, um, actually, Matt and I joined a swim squad in Weinberg, which just had a pool. So it wasn't subject to, you know, being a gym. It was just a pool you walked in and out. Mm -hmm. And they had certain um, criteria around number of swimmers, etc. And so we got to join a lot of other swimmers a little bit sooner than I suppose others. But um, again, it was like, I remember getting in the pool for the first time and I felt like, Whoa, even though I'd done push-ups and band work. And yeah, no, that nothing. helps nothing. Yeah. <laughs> swimming in squares. <laughs> no, nothing substitutes the swimming. I mean, you, you aerobically fit, but your arms are like pop <laughs> And that's after you improved your swim a lot. I mean, you and I swim in the same swim squad and you actually left us and pulled a couple of Grant and a couple of the super swimmers into your own lane and 
you lifted your game. So you were on track to start putting some proper swims because that's always been your least favorite leg, I think, competitively. I mean, it's my least favorite. Well, it's probably my weakest leg in a race, but it's one of my most enjoyable mm-hmm. things to do in train. I find it very, I mean, swimming it, you, for recovery, for fitness, um, you know, off the plane. It's one of the best things to do. I find it meditative. <laughs> I like it. I know that I got to the end of the pool. I just don't know how I got there. I knew I needed to turn, <laughs> but your mind goes somewhere, somewhere else. else. Yeah. So I, I do enjoy it. But yes, haven't been able to execute, I think, what I do in, in the pool um, in a race. I still don't feel like I'm there yet, but, uh, you know, little steps. But I, I suppose I was in a really good space before the accident. And it was your typical Saturday. I was going out for my, you know, normal This is Christmas time-ish. The 12th of December. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure like Matt, that date is embedded in your brain. You'll never forget it. Um, yeah, and I was crossing the road from the pave- from one side of the pavement to the other. Um, and the road is a little bit bendy and windy. And early in the morning, I think taxi speeding. And look, I don't think it's only taxis that speed on that road. Many, many cars do. And I was watching and I thought, this is coming really fast, you know, sprint. And as I got to the other side of the road, it literally ramped the pavement, hit me. I went flying five meters. I've also been incredibly lucky. Um, There were two poles there. I missed that. But I was properly concussed. I don't remember anything from, from pretty much being hit. I think the last thought that went through my mind was protect um, because um, of the way I got hit was all on the left side and I think I sort of put my hands up. So I smashed my head into the windscreen, smashed my body into the in the body of the of the car and, and literally went flying. So you were still you were upright and hit the front. So you had a head on with a taxi. Well, side on, because I think I ducked like this, you know, cold <laughs> position. But yeah, pretty much. And then I went flying for five meters and I think I scraped a whole lot. So I mean Top to bottom, you know, had stitches and staples in the back of my head. Um, I broke the transverse process, which are the the bones that come off the spine. Um, Then I broke uh, the ribs. I broke my fibula. And (laughs) it's never a nice thing to talk about, but (laughs) I ripped my anus muscle, um, which required like two and a half hours of surgery. So... Yeah, and then I was. And this is December two thousand and twenty, and we're sitting here in May two thousand and twenty-one. Yes, and you got three titles or more under your belt. Yes, this I doesn't mean, make this doesn't add up. Explain I mean, this. <laughs> I'm as flawed and as flabbergasted as you. I mean, I think what's really interesting is the training that you know us, Matt and I do from an endurance perspective, and I think particularly under um, the Soto banner is they build strong athletes, incredibly strong athletes. And interestingly enough, when I was in um, surgery, my trauma surgeon, which she was amazing, um, unbelievable. Um, she said to me that had another guy come in and he'd been hit by a car, broken his ankle. It was serious, but not as serious as what I'd gone through. And they do inflammation markers to see the impact of the trauma on you. And he was, was through the roof and mine was just above normal. So effectively what that means is your body had thought, Okay, that was a hard training session. Better start recovering. Oh. <laughs> we just go straight into recovery. Conditioning deluxe. <laughs> Long run day, man. <laughs> like, yeah. She was like, I wonder what it looks like after an Ironman. <laughs> so I think almost, you know, as a result of training the way we do, you your body is goes into that repair mm. mode. But Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's and to Matt's point, your body is 
incredibly amazing and unbelievably resilient. Um, and I think what is interesting about going through that and, and what Matt was talking about is you, when you do come back, um, I remember doing a 30 minute swim and getting out and feeling, I can't believe that I'm totally exhausted and I would go to bed like I was a zombie. I would go to bed at six o'clock and wake up at nine o'clock the next day. I just couldn't function or I'd get I'd do a 30 minute spin, you know, running again. Similarly was was the last to start and also the last still last to come back. But you do start seeing big gains. You go from a 30 minute swim and then you can swim two Ks and three Ks and you're like all of a sudden, oh, wow, I'm swimming four Ks. This is quite incredible. Um, And it is the athlete whose propensity to keep pushing and testing the limits. We're very bad at that. And you need a coach um, that kind of can see the wood from the trees and that holds you back constantly holds you back. So I was put onto a lot of hikes and different types of strength work around um, the things that I would do and, you know, easier swims and easier bikes. But also a lot of it was indoors um, for my mental health as well as just my Mm. physical health. Mm. But um, I think if somebody, if you left to your own devices, you can push yourself almost um, even more damage. Exactly. Yeah. You need to give you sessions that bluff you into thinking you're actually training when you're not (laughs) and i mean this is this has scarred you emotionally too i mean you you, we just had the blue lagoon this weekend and you the favorite and you were at registration you're all ready to go and friday night you messaged me and said i'm not going to drive up in the rain yeah and i someone i said to someone else she's not coming because of the rain and they said well i mean it must be after the crash and i was like oh yeah that's what it is yeah i mean i'm still seeing i am seeing a psychologist um i think I go through a lot of uh, post-traumatic st- stress disorder. I think um, I've become a Karen. <laughs> I like the way people drive, the way people run, the way people bike cycle. I feel mm. like I need to stop and tell everyone, like I got hit by a taxi. Don't run across yeah. the road like that or look before you turn or why are you driving 80 in a 60 zone? So yes, there is a lot of, um, you know, I, even myself running down to the promenade, I will Sunday, I went for a long run. I got almost taken out by two taxis on the far end of the side, running where all the runners and cyclists are. There's just... Even though you're so aware. I am. No, no, well, I mean, they were crossing over the line, coming almost into the bush. A woman reaching Uh, for her phone, not looking where she's driving. You know, you have Matt's accident with the the sun. You know, as a runner, as a cyclist, Mm. often one of the things you don't realize is when you're driving into the sun, drivers can't see you. You have to be so careful. I mean, Matt will talk about having a light on the back of his car, on, on the back of his bicycle. Today I went running in the morning. I made sure I had reflectors. We, you don't see it. Mm-hmm. You, there is this cavalier way. And I mean, even one of those, you know, previous, one of those pro cyclists a couple of years ago, turned when she dropped her power meter, she turned her, her bike computer and she turned into the oncoming traffic and died. And we just get cavalier on the roads and mm. it's across the board. And so, yes, I think the risk reward, I need to weigh up consistently on a, on a daily basis. So yeah, I, 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 at the moment I'm probably a little bit more cautious than I've previously been in my life. Yeah. And justifiably so. So, Matt, just as a matter of interest, flashbacks, trauma, counselling, 
do you sort of ride occasionally and think, oh, I'm going to get off this road and do you spend more time indoors because of it? Uh, yeah, I definitely spend way more time indoors than um, than I did. And yeah, I mean, immediately post-accidents, I mean, I didn't go on the road for, I think it was at least six months um, after the accident. So I actually went out on the road again and... I think Nicole was even more traumatized than I was. She made sure she followed me in the car for the yeah. <laughs> first, first few weeks, maybe even months. Um, but yeah, 100% more cautious. I think, um, like Anna was saying, there's like when you're out there on the bike, it's you have this freedom. And, you know, if you're with other people, you're with your mates, like safety does kind of, you know, slip a lot of people's minds. Sure. Um, and I mean, it just feels natural to be out there. But, yeah, honestly, like there's nothing natural about riding a little carbon bicycle when you've got, mm. you know, multi-ton um, cars and trucks on the road and you're sharing the same space with no, you know, um, no designated area to ride or even if there is, I mean, yeah, it just takes a split second of someone um, looking at their phone to to veer into you and I mean doesn't matter whose fault it is um, yeah. the cyclist is always or the runner is always going to come off second best um, it's just the yeah unfortunately it's, that is just the nature of the game um, so Anna you you didn't have an unfulfilled East London you've ticked most of your boxes what made you come back so fast I mean I know perhaps Collins Cup's on your mind perhaps I mean you didn't need the income from running races you didn't need the time because you probably could have used that time having a more of a social life. You could probably easily have said, okay, well, this is my son. I want to be able to use the roads comfortably and, and have a more balanced life, but you've come back for more and probably, like Matt, motivated more so and more driven and more scary for your opposition. Um, I think I just love the process. For me, you know, Matt was talking about how many times he's questioned coming back. I mean, I question doing this every time I stand on the beach, right, about to race. But I don't question it day to day. That I find hugely rewarding and incredibly fulfilling. Um, the process is just pushing your body to, to, I mean, sport is the blueprint of a good life. And actually, that was my psychologist. Nice. I'd like to quote <laughs> you on that Solid, one. Psychologist's words. And then I read... Emma Pooley, who ever rested, um, and she actually holds the record. And she says, you know, it's a privilege to choose how you suffer. Most people have mm. pain thrust upon them. And there's something deeply. <laughs> Producer, hit record. <laughs> there's something deeply rewarding about pushing yourself to new limits and achieving something that you thought wasn't possible. And, and as Matt spoke about it, you know, what you thought was impossible was perhaps running again. And then you run and then you think, okay, well, is it possible to to break 17 minutes for a 5K? Oh, look, look, I've done that, you know, and the goals do constantly move. And I think that just that that is what's incredibly rewarding about the sport is that day to day. And, and, and let's be fair, like sometimes you have a terrible day and you think, should I really be doing this? Because your confidence is fragile because you, you're constantly building yourself and it's really rewarding to do well and constantly be better and you have one bad training day and you think, oh, well, should I be doing this? Look how crap I am. Mm. And I think it's to have, you know, the reset and go, well, we get to try again. You know, that's the beauty of the sport is like you get to try again. You get to to do something the next day. And very few people remember those bad races of 
that you've done or completed except for you. And I think that's what keeps the, the fire burning. Yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> Matt, obviously, individual sailor around the world, we know he's allergic to too many humans. <laughs> you, on the other hand, have quite an impressive uh, after-party repertoire. We've seen you move around the dance floor. Um, we know you're a socialite. You've got lots of great friends. Your ex-Joburg circle are always surrounding you at every race, a chance to party with you. And a banana who lets one her hair come down one night a year or a couple of <laughs> year. So, so how are you, honestly, validated by external factors? So interestingly enough, I mean, it, it would seem I'm an extrovert because I'm loud. But introvert is actually defined by the, where you take your energy from. And I definitely get my energy from internally. You can't go cycle for five hours by yourself and be mm -hmm. happy at the end exactly. of that if you are completely externally driven. So absolutely not. And in fact, I think my family and friends would welcome the opportunity for me to have stopping mm -hmm. <laughs> the sport. Like, come, let's let's party, let's booze it up, let's, yeah. you know, let's be a lot more social and um, all of those things. And you know, they respect that this is my deep design, this is my passion, and this is what, it's, you know, something that's deeply personal. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's my purpose in life. Oh, that's awesome. And your time out. And so, so that is truly your, your, your life balance. I mean, is there such a thing as life balance? We're all sitting here going, uh, how many heartbeats can your heart beat a day? You know, how much, how much time can you spend training before it becomes detrimental to your health? Should we be pushing ourselves for a long time? Should we be doing comrades and Ironman and August, whatever it is, multiple times a year, should we be taking time out? You guys train pretty much the whole year round. And you look amazing. I mean, the reason why you're both on the cover is because you look incredible and you are that much more incredible. You are super lean. I mean, because there's less fat on a used toothpick than in this room right here. <laughs> so you are exceptional in that respect. But now what can we take from you as mortals who, I mean, you in particular, obviously, I mean, you've got a kid now, you've got a family and you've got a job. How do you, how do you manage that without your body breaking down? How much of this is good for you? Do you think? Just when you have the odd moment of reflection, how much can a body absorb? Again, I think it comes down to, I mean, if I was left to my own devices, I'd push myself into oblivion. So I'm luckily I, I have a coach and I think my coach in particular looks at making sure that everything is sort of more strength workout than heart rate workout. So he's protecting that muscle, mm -hmm. um, which I think potentially from a, for an endurance athlete could have huge consequences. I mean, if you look at history and I mean, even Richard Murray now has come out sure. with his his heart condition. So I think that that could be a huge issue. Um, so, I mean, you talk about balance. I think balance is different for everyone, eh, Paul? Um, for me, it is finding enough time to work, train, recover, and every now and again, yes, socialize. But that's my choice of balance. Some people, their balance is sitting at the end of the day and watching TV, which is quite nice. Sure. I think the problem is when people say, I don't have the time. No, you choose not to put your mm. time there. You choose to put your time there. And that's okay. Yeah. I choose to spend time with my kids. I choose to spend time watching Netflix. I choose to spend time scrolling through social media. Whatever that may be, it's a choice that you, you're you making. You do what you value. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, with triathlon, there's, it's obviously super easy to, to overtrain yourself um, when you're trying to fit in. Yeah, three different disciplines. Um, I mean, I think every triathlete who's been at it for a couple of years has has gone into that space where they've uh, they've pushed themselves too far. And yeah, for me, I find I normally just that's when I actually start to lose motivation and and question why I'm doing the sports and 
you know, it's my time not going to be spent better somewhere else. And yeah, I know when I'm on the right track is yeah. When I'm just enjoying the process and, um, yeah, I can still be happy at the end of the day when you, you know, you finished your training and you've still got a bit of energy to spend, um, with, with, little guy. with the little guy and, um, and Nicole and yeah, I mean, finding that balance. Yeah. That's it, for me, like that's critical in terms of, um, keeping the passion alive for the sport. Um, I've definitely crossed over and, and done too much and, um, gone out of whack there, but, um, so yeah, that's something I always, always try and monitor. And yeah, I think as an age grouper, I mean, you really got to, you got to question why it is you're in the sport. Um, I think it's very easy to, to lose sight of, um, why you got into it when you start chasing results and better times and PBs and whatnot. And whereas most of the time you got into it just to be healthy and live a nice active lifestyle and, you know, go train with your mates and all of a sudden now you you know you're chasing the podium and you've you know shut out your family and let in work mm. slip and <laughs> yeah there's uh, yeah there were two yeah. quite interesting conversations had recently with two high profile people one was mark allen who said people asked him why he was stopping because he was winning he had won you know six corners in a row he was he was unbeatable and short distance long distance middle distance he was amazing still and he said something just said to him enough this isn't good for me anymore. And now, as we know, the last 20 years he's been surfing. <laughs> yeah. And he's happy and healthy. And and then Jan Fredino, who also had a back issue, started here in South Africa, had won the World Championship, had come back and beaten Patrick and broken his record and done everything. And then everyone was saying it's his time because he's late 30s. How old are you now, Matt? Mm, 36. So, okay, so a younger couple, than couple of years yeah. younger. <laughs> and, he, and he thought, okay, time to pack it in. Everybody started saying it's time to pack it in. And he had a long think about it and thought, actually – I still can and I still love it. So I'm not going to stop. So I guess, yeah, it is yeah. about whether you have the desire and the hunger and the energy is genuine and it's not external. Yeah. And it's not sponsors. I mean, I'm quite keen to hear from both of you about how your sponsors were in lockdown. I mean, I know you don't have, I mean, I know you've, I, because we're close to us, I know you just got Selfish on board with a new wetsuit, which is quite cool. Matt, you've had Red Bull for a long time. Also and Selfish. selfish. <laughs> oh, you've oh, yeah. you done to Selfish, both of you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, you probably know Jan, I'm sure, Mr. 4625, he'll tell you quickly. <laughs> yeah. Without a wetsuit, I'm just saying. You're without a wetsuit. <laughs> it's on the speedo, even 46, whatever it is. And yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, so, so, so yeah, I mean, Jan Sibison, obviously, lovely to see a South African investing in South Africa and and coming back here to, to build the brand from not being existed, a very good suit. But now, so they're selfish. Then you've got Red Bull on your side. Do they, I mean, they're super high profile. I'm sure there are a lot of people who would pay Red Bull in order to just wear that helmet. So, so, firstly, were the sponsors consistent with you? I know you've got Isuzu, Anna, at least one there. So I'm not sure about your other ones. You can tell us, both of you. Mm. Any sponsors that were consistent, kept you going? Because, Matt, I know this is a livelihood for you. Race income wasn't there. PTO, obviously a huge one, stepped in and filled the gap for most pros. And I know you're also a PTO. So, so how was that? Because that's, was your, that was your livelihood. Yeah, well, for me and and Red Bull, uh, yeah, I can't thank them enough. They were um, super understanding with um, you know with the situation that most athletes found themselves in, and you know not being able to race and travel and and show yourselves. And I mean, yeah, there was more of a push for 
you know, trying to get yourself out there on social media, which I'm awesome at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did do a pretty, you did a couple of cool things. You were coaching and all sorts. Eh? Yeah, but uh, no, they were, and and they still are. Um, yeah, very supportive. Um, yeah, they they had all their athletes back. Didn't um, didn't let it didn't anywhere. change a thing, and no. um, that was yes. that was great to see. And in, and yeah. are you Adam? I mean, you. Probably don't need them as much, but it would be horrible to have to chop and change. And I think I'm sure all corporate people earn a fortune more than the rest of us, poor journalists and and, and whatever. But I um, mean, I love this rumor that I earn so much. I, know, you say, I hope I'm you like, do because you work so flipping hard. I'm just gonna like send one dollar dollar bills. If you're as you clever know. as you and you work as hard as you do, you better earn a lot. Otherwise, you better just stop working and just race. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should do that. <laughs> um, so I am very thankful to Suzu have kept me on board. Um. I had iTech who have subsequently stopped the sponsorship. Um, and so they did did help through through the lockdown. Do you drive a Bucky? I, I don't drive an ICZ Bucky <laughs> okay. yet. So I'm waiting for that. Yeah, MUX. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> um, Got some pretty cute MUXs around now. I think the hard thing um, for sponsors, particularly in South Africa, is the size of the market. Mm. Um, one and two is often an agency and it's really difficult to get equipment mm. in, um, you know, across bikes, across uh, pretty much everything, even your your race suits these days. So I understand that that's really difficult. And I also think given the pandemic, it's been huge to their, mm. their top line and their bottom line, of course. Um, so, so I understand that. I think where you can partner with a with a, a brand um, like a Red Bull that really backs you. I mean, mm. Matt is synonymous with Red Bull. I don't think I've ever known him as a pro without um, out Red Bull, you know, and it's awesome, you know, when I see a Red Bull helmet. Oh, that's Matt. Um, and that's cool to have that sort of relationship that you, you, you have that symbiotic relationship. Mm. You can kind of identify not just the brand, but also the athlete. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a question for me is what am I doing as an athlete for a brand? I'm ultimately selling that brand. Um, and so I need to step up either through social media or through race results, etc. But from the other side, it's what does that brand, how does that brand help you elevate their profile with you? I think that often we miss in, in South Africa. So, you know, um, you know, Suzu will say, hey, well done, Anna, she's won this race. Or, hey, Anna is our girl that we've backed for for this, for this Ironman. And I think that's quite important. But I don't necessarily think that we get that right. When we do get mm. that right, I think there will be an increase and in an uptick in sponsorship. You know, I've just heard of like Hollywood Bets sponsoring the women's soccer. You know, like hopefully we will get something like that for, for triathlon. And I also think it's in South Africa what would be amazing is if we got – a professional South African team, 100%. you know, by, by mass numbers, you could probably. With or without the Hollywood bets. Without, yeah. <laughs> so, so PTO has obviously stepped in at an amazing time. What is your take for most of us? A race is a race. Points don't matter. Um, you know, you guys have now suddenly got this, uh, a range of races that are PTO based you got to make choices now. You both have been. You've both been to Kona. You both. I'm sure you're going to tell us that are still looking for your your big day at Kona. Everybody, I guess the world has been that base. How are you going to make your choices in terms of races? Is it? I mean, the Collins Cup is pretty huge. It doesn't suit everybody's. I mean, Brad Vice was saying it just doesn't suit him. You know, little guy, 
can't power a Gustav Eden type of ride. So, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's been a big change you know, in the last year and a half in, in professional racing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they really couldn't have come come around at a better time. Um, yeah, just yeah, supporting the pros through through COVID, um, even when we couldn't race, and yeah, and now when travel is so difficult, um, supporting the smaller local races mm -hmm. um, like the Sun City. Um, yeah, it, it makes you know it means all the all the local pros, um, you know, the small number that we are, they make sure that they they all at these races and yeah it elevates the profile of the races and it definitely helps us um with the with the us dollars that they've been putting into these races um i mean yeah moving forward it's um yeah for me it's still you know kona is obviously a goal but um yeah it's just to try and it's just to try and get over there again get over to europe or the us and um do some higher profile races and yeah i mean i just i enjoy racing good competition and um if there's a good prize purse at the end of it then that's even more motivation um so yeah i mean there's i mean my plan now moving forward is challenge uh challenge half distance race in poland gdansk i think it is seems um, like it's quite which, a strong field building for that one yeah i mean and again pto supported okay. so yeah even the even these challenge races, they um, get in behind that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's maybe it's they'll support challenge Cape Town. I did ask them a week ago; they hadn't heard anything. Okay, but will that be on your radar? Because that's end of the year, coming towards Christmas time. I don't know if I mean Europe's getting a bit cold by then. <laughs> yeah, is that where you'll be back here then? Any other? Yeah, like it depends um, on what happens with with the World Championship races mm -hmm. and um, whether yeah whether I go to Kona. I still need to qualify so. Um, yeah, I think a lot of pros are on that boat where they scratch into find a qualifying race and um, and to see what happens yeah. there. But it, yeah, I mean, it's just going to be great to do a season of racing again. You know, you take it take it as it comes, and whatever races pop up, um, yeah, make sure you fit and ready for them. Interesting to see how form yeah. changes. Huh? I mean, I don't know if you watched the uh, race in Japan yesterday. Yeah, Sunday. incredible. Suddenly yeah. Henry's running away from you know. Frenchies and I mean that's suddenly it's yeah uh, quite amazing, eh? Yeah, it is. I mean, um, yeah, to, what a what a difference a year makes and oh. how people have dealt with um, you know training on their own in isolation and yeah. I, I think some people have overdone it to be honest and have probably dug themselves into sure. um, into a hole that they're struggling to come out of. I think yeah. also um, you know last year could prove if you're just doing it for the races mentally you could be broken because mm. there's no races there's no reward mm. for for all the training there is yeah. and um we work very closely with zwift it's a it's a, an amazing platform which does i think there's the odd amateur that gets super overexcited and races every day gets time he gets on the bike but that is i mean for most of us who don't have a professional career you know just sitting staring at your wall or perhaps an app with a movie that can get a bit much whereas suddenly you're racing a real person and hey there's rich Laurie and there's Gian Fredino and there's jimmy the next door neighbor and you're racing each other how much of that do you guys do and i mean lionel saunders went and beat i think most of the pros in the world so again so did i think cameron so how do you guys use things like swift races and there were i mean there were races throughout lockdown did you avoid it or did you get on there <laughs> i think i did more than anna 
I, I didn't do the races, but I did to use Zwift. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Zwift, um, again, thanks to them, they put um, they put on the Z Pro Tri-Series. Um, and yeah, I competed in a couple of those. Um, How did you find was, it, Matt? Yeah, the I think the first couple we did were just um, we were just bike races. I think it was just mm-hmm. a straight yeah. one one race um, a week that they changed up the course and the distance. And then this uh, later series has been the, the um, duathlon series where you did the crit race first, and then jumped on the treadmill, five k pretty much all out run and then there was no no the first race was the time trial and then the last race was the crit race yeah definitely uh, don't have the upper end speed to uh, be really competitive um, in that but yeah great great motivation and great fun and um, yeah what a awesome platform also, to just keep lockdown, you motivated especially, yeah? Wow. yeah for sure i um, mean i find zwift and sort of indoor training a blessing to Anyone that's Anyone. actually... Especially when you talk about a- all the dangers on the road and the need for motivation. Well, that's and also an online. amateur who needs to be efficient with their time. Mm-mm. You know, I can quickly jump on, on Durs Quick Zwift and get back onto, yeah, into the no office. No lubricating chains, no putting on your helmet, just hop I mean, on and go. Instead of an hour and a half, yeah. you, you've got an hour uh, of time. And so absolutely, it's yeah, just yeah. a really efficient way of training. And you... You're doing an Absa Cape Epic. Something you're doing an, an online. Okay, what was that about? So um, the Absa Cape Epic was obviously has been postponed, and so they're doing a series of Absa rides uh, on Zwift. Um, and they had a couple of us. I think we were doing Absa Ride Five, and they had a couple of us that were just chatting. So, I mean, the big motivator for me on that chat was to to chat to Greg Minar. <laughs> <laughs> so he was on <laughs> on the ride, and um, you know, fascinating. So you were just were you motivating amateurs in the bunch online? Well, we were just we were kind of going through an interview, kind of podcast whilst we were part of a ride for an hour. So it was it was That's pretty cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. A, a live podcast, which is quite interesting because there's nothing like cycling and answering questions at the same yeah. time. I'm actually quite amazed some of those videos they did during lockdown. I mean, like when Jan did that Iron Man in his house, yeah. to be able to be interviewed throughout the process was uh, quite a thing and to look cool at the same time. Um, so it's easier than typing, at least. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't know how people do that. I haven't mastered that one. No, yeah. I've not. So, so online, I mean, you, you do a lot of training indoors and you do use those sort of um, platforms. What would you say is your percentage of outdoor versus indoor? In your kind, and obviously, yeah, for you guys, um, half maybe, much no, less. No, 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 I would say probably more like 80% indoor, 80% indoor, yeah. So, you're boarding Lionel Sanders kind of stuff yeah. there, <laughs> yeah. No, to be, yeah, on the back, definitely, yeah, I'd say easily 80% indoors, um, and then the runs, uh, yeah, probably maybe like 60 40 treadmill to road. And also, me, quality yeah. wise, you can monitor cadence and heart rate and all the rest of the whole. Uh, yeah, to be for me, I find it's just a bit easier on the body and on the back. Um, the mm. treadmill's a bit of a softer surface, yeah, sure. um, and so especially for speed work, I, yeah, I love just getting that leg turnover on the treadmill, um, and you can, yeah, still be you know relatively fresh for your next session, and you've got a yeah, you've got a good run workout, and so I think it's just. Yeah, you just got to keep a little bit of strength and a little bit of that like explosive power um, by getting out on the road. But you really can do quite a lot on the treadmill and still be competitive. So, 
what do you make of these guys? Like, like I mean, Alberto Salazar spent did 100% of his training on the, on the treadmill and came out and won the comrades. How much he, of, he also bought some, you know, uh, he some, some, help. Yeah, some yeah. nice yeah. sugar pills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <gasps> so for us amateurs who struggle with that, I mean, quality wise and quantity, we talk about junk miles. There's a lot of talk about junk miles. We also talked just before we started on about smileage. How much of your time should be fun riding and fun training versus and rather than sitting in level three, which is, or, you know, rather than four and five, which would be, what's it, 20%, 20% of your training and 80% in the one and two zone. Do you think most amateurs are just wasting a lot of time when you look at, I know, Matt, you coach, do you coach at all, Anna? No, no, I don't Okay. Coach. What, what do you, what's your take on that? Because I, I worry that I think a lot of amateurs are just spending too much time in the junk zone. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends. There's so, there's so many variables there. I mean, depends what type, what, time of year it is and um, what you're building up to how long you've been in the sport what type of athlete you are i mean if you it, yeah if you're training in a way that isn't benefiting you then yeah that's obviously junk miles sure. but one person's junk miles could be another person's you know so really let's, beneficial let's, session, let's imagine so. the person's got a goal to do well in a race whether it's a sprint olympic or a ironman or a half what what would you typically recommend would you say let's pick the big race build everything up towards that and not just be a south african that goes oh i'm fit oh, i can go and do that trail race i'll go and do that <laughs> swim run i'll go and do everything because that's what we do that's the way we're hardwired yeah yeah i mean to to plan a season around a single race is it's definitely more difficult um, i mean i take my hat off to like the olympic athletes who are mm. planning a four-year cycle to peak on one day of the year i mean yeah. that's extremely difficult to get right um i mean yeah as an amateur if you if you don't have that one overriding goal which i mean i guess a lot of people do but i think you can sort of just like go through the process especially if you're just starting out of of getting fit um just enjoying your sessions and yeah without without having that um that one a race i mean you you better able to listen to your body and um it is sort of the way brett did a lot of his training is just get the training and like sort of have a, a vague idea of where you want to go but um when your body comes around and you find yourself in good form then yeah utilize it to go and mm -hmm. go and race so i mean i think yeah it depends on the athlete it depends what you what you're trying to achieve but i think you can do both i think yeah it takes a lot of discipline to try and peak for that one race um and yeah form comes and goes and i mean some days you're motivated and i think the body is sort of like goes through cycles like the seasons i sure. mean you some you know sometimes the year you're up sometimes you're down and um yeah you take advantage when you when you're on a roll yeah so i mean you, you also uh, can't yeah. control those uncontrollables what if you have gastro, what if you yeah. get flu, what if you get an injury? Puncture. I mean, there's too <laughs> much. And I think to Matt's point, it's also what's the individual, why is the individual training? I have a lot of friends who train to be around people. For them, it's their social environment. So for them to fully focus and for you to say, okay, you know, all in, and this is the hectic training we're going to make you do <laughs> to the exclusion of everything else. Mm that will then they might as well give up the sport they'll they'll stop because it's it's not meeting that requirement which mm. is I actually did this to go for that ride with my friends where we all race up chappies you know whatever it may be 
So I think it really depends we'll on that. We'll have abs like Anna and Matt. I think most, <laughs> uh, to be honest, I think we, everyone does it to stay healthy and it's in the best shape they can be. But then they either overdo it or overdo it and burn out and leave. Um, I mean, the number, I think 50% of every year in at Ironman are newbies. So clearly a lot of people coming along, bucket list, I want the M dot on my leg or I've seen it looks cool. And then too much, too soon, didn't work out the way I wanted it to, limped the run and gave up the sport. Yeah, I mean, you see it with comrades, right? People will start in October, I'm going to race comrades. <laughs> that blows my mind. Those people that do it is amazing, uh, are amazing. Um, the people that do it off 40 kilometers of training a week when you're going to double that plus a time trial at the end, wow. I mean, looking for trouble, but if you're going to tick the box, then yeah, mm. maybe you're just looking to tick Knock the box. But out. I think that's that's yeah not something yeah. advisable. <laughs> so what yeah, advice I mean, would a... you guys give an amateur? I mean, you probably often think, I often think to myself, well, you know, people say, wow, you're amazing. You can do all these things. And I think actually once you condition yourself, as long as you don't push yourself too hard, as long as you keep eating and drinking, you can literally do it all day. Cycling, not, not running maybe, but you can certainly swim and cycle and paddle for a long long time and i often think well if you actually knew how actually easy it is you know you would do it you guys must occasionally think to yourselves i mean the distance between you guys and the amateurs is ridiculous you finish an ironman in eight hours or eight and a half nine hours other people start hoping to finish at 12 13 hours the distance is vast mm. so what do you think to yourself sometimes if only amateurs knew x or y they could be so much better yeah. Whether it's technology, use of power meters, heart rate monitors, bikes, coaches, you know, a lot of people, is a coach a coach? I mean, I mean you'd yeah. probably take 30 minutes to an hour off any amateur's time just in transition. <laughs> Putting on makeup. Yes, amateurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no. there, there's the secret. You could do it in no. 11 hours. <laughs> Get out of there faster. No, I mean, I think, I think for a lot of people, it's that they try and rush the process. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, you have, you know, people who are different responders. Some guys respond quickly and can get good results in a relatively short time. And others, you know, it might take you 10 years to eventually see your best Ironman results. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, for guys who are in it just to tick the box um, and just to say that you've done an Ironman and you can brag to your neighbors, then that's awesome. Um, sure. Others are in it because they, they love the sport. And um, if that's the case, then yeah, just don't don't try and force things unnaturally. Like follow the, follow the steps. Um, yeah, it's a, I mean, endurance is it's not an overnight thing. That's like you, anything that's in life, patience, eh? Yeah. 10,000 hours, all the rest. I mean, it's, it's quite interesting because yeah. I think through injury we've learned it is, but it means training as well. It's consistent day to day. There's n there is no special formula here. You just got to show up every day and be at it. As um, Woody Allen said, ninety percent of success is pitching up. Yeah. But I mean, you can't. Having said that, you can't overlook genetics as well. I sure. mean, that's obviously a huge um, a huge factor. I mean, Matt, I want to ask you something. <laughs> the guy yeah. without the genetics says, Matt. I'm coming to you because I want to go under 10 hours. Yeah, what I mean, you, like, what it depends. Saying? I'll rush you through transition. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, it depends. Do you have the honest talk about realistic goals or? I think it's, I think you've got to give yourself, um, you've got to give yourself a few years in the sport to actually see what's possible. Um, I don't think you can judge anyone straight off the bat and say okay. that's, that's not going to happen. Um, yeah. 
yeah, some some people are um, fortunate enough to be more gifted than others. Mm. Um, but you just got to find that your personal goal that that you're going to be happy to achieve. And um, yeah, if it's really unrealistic, then someone needs to look you <laughs> look you in the eye and tell <laughs> you so. Sure. <laughs> so, I so mean, I mean, otherwise drugs suddenly become tempting, and we've seen there's been a lot of age group. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, one of the girls, the younger girls coming through, she's incredible. Um, I was chatting to her and I was saying, so you've just changed coaches. You're probably starting results in the next three years. What? She was like, three years. And I was like, well, how bad do you want it? I mean, there is no quick, and, and to Matt's point, sometimes you're lucky and you have those breakthrough races, but most of us have had to work at it. It's like a daily grind. And... You get glimpses mm. of that perfect race or a good race, and that keeps you motivated through all of the the tough times. And to peak on one day, as you say, for Olympics mm. is like, I mean, you might just not have gone to the toilet that morning, and so you have a bad race, and it's for four years. That's all you've put your yeah. So money on. So yeah? so we are in a bit of a convenience culture, and we are in a shortcut. That's basically how we do it. When you're overweight, you take a fat pill. When you mm. need, like you read this, the kids read summaries of books for the exams. And, you know, there's always a shortcut in life. So taking um, performance-enhancing medication, whatever you want to call it, substances, is very tempting and it has been a lot. Do you ever wonder, like, what if I'm racing against someone who's not this, not racing on uh, Yeah, on I mean, absolutely. I think it goes through every prize mind that's... Um it might not be a, a level playing field at times, but yeah, like, I mean, for me, it's, um, like I was saying earlier, it's, uh, I'm internally motivated. I don't, mm-hmm. it's not the external. But I mean, it does affect your income. I mean, if a guy uh, yeah, consistently no, beats you and he's making the money, your little I mean, boy can't go to the school he wants because. Um, <laughs> you got to, at the end of the day, you got to look yourself in the mirror, um, mm-hmm. at night and I mean, if you, yeah, if you're and not happy. And the health consequences, I mean, it's got to be contributing to some of these late I mean, life health issues. Yeah. Mental and physical. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, it, it for me makes completely no sense. My love and passion for it is to see what I can do. Taking a pull is not what I can mm. do. Um, And I, unlike, I think unlike Matt or most is, I haven't actually, I get to a race, I, I think, I assume it's a, level playing field mm. and I actually did um, Luxembourg 70.3 and at the time I had a terrible race probably one one of my worst 70.3s um, and Susie Cheatham came second and um, the girl that came first is known and has been banned for doping and there is there is huge detest det- mm. for anyone that actually sullies the sport in that manner unacceptable and to your point i mean anyone that takes growth hormones you can't just like oh well you only grow my muscles it's growing if you've got cancer it's growing your cancer it's growing your ears it's growing your your intestines everything (laughs) like i'm sorry why would you do that Uh, to yourself uh, and that's ultimate the ultimate karma coming at you Mm. let's talk a little bit about coaching so you've both you coach and you've had different coaches. You've got quite a controversial, interesting coach in Alceto. He's you've been his kind of one male for a long time, and he's got the low <laughs> cadence thing going on. And 
other people have got the high cadences. I think there's he's been a kind of lone voice in the low cadence, high power story. Um, you know, coaches are different. And in South Africa, there's pretty much no barrier to entry in coaches. So <laughs> what do the people sitting there going, I want to be like Anna and Matt. I want to get good. I mean, let's face it, coaching is step number one, one of the steps. So, But how do you go around choosing a coach? My coach might be influenced by him. There's no standard. You don't have to have a certain criteria. So it kind of seems a little random. And I mean, you guys have moved around a bit. What's the, what, what, what do you, what do you, what do you see as, as the options for a person who wants to choose a coach that suits them mentally, respects their role, like you said, and I had somebody who sent them up the mountain. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, yeah, I mean, it is the wild west in terms of anyone can become a coach. Yeah. I mean, you've done a triathlon and next thing you're a hey, coach. You've done a nine, man. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, for someone who isn't in the loop, yeah, it's you're not gonna you're not gonna know what's um, who's out there and um, mm. you know what everyone's about. Um, but then again, I I do feel like when you're first coming into the sports, um, it's probably less about the coaching and more about just Does getting out there yeah, yeah. and and being consistent and you're going to see improvements if you just swim back and run you don't have to do anything fancy um and i think here in south africa a big driver is just where you're based and what group you're going to join mm. if you're in the atlantic seaboard you join and ATC if you want human interaction rather than it, just an online it, program it, yeah mm. for sure and i mean I would recommend that to be honest it's um it's how i started here in, in cape town with my training day and yeah that was, that was some of my most enjoyable years of training when i was with those guys and mm. in the group and um, yeah you push each other and um, there's a lot of banter and and as a matter of interest do you generally practice what you preach do you give donovan Keldnais advice to slow down and and be moderate and then you go and smash yourself day in and day out <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you got to treat um, every athlete, uh, every athlete differently, mm. and uh, as an individual, and yeah, it, yeah, what people can handle in their training is um, is can totally you see different. It, Matt, can you yeah. see the markers? I mean, are there simple ways to make sure they are growing in your yeah, hundred percent. I mean, uh, look, the I mean, the most um, the best marker is your race results at the end of the day. Mm. Um, instead of doing this test and that test. I mean, the real test is um, yeah. what you produce on race day. Mm. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that's the benchmark that I use. Okay. But um, in terms of monitoring progress, um, yeah, just the athlete athlete feedback, again, more than exact numbers. It's more of how, how have you felt that mm -hmm. session, how, how you're handling the overall training load um, and intensity distribution um on like a weekly and monthly basis rather than session to session i mean everyone has a good days and bad days mm. um it's nothing to like base the training off it's more your overall progression over the over a few weeks and building up to your race i also think it's like your mental health at the time you know like are you enjoying the training are you mm. having fun is it exciting yes you might be fatigued you might be tired you might be but, I mean, a coach is as invested as you. And, I mean, you talk about what coach to choose. Matt's trained, a trained coach. He's got qualifications yeah. to be a coach. He just didn't do an Ironman and then started coaching. Mm. And I think, mm. for me, if somebody is asking to be high performance, you handing your life to a coach 
I'm trusting you to make me a better athlete. Mm. You tell me what to do. You see the big picture. I'm going to execute. And you do what you just hand that to anyone. You don't interview them. You don't look at their qualifications. And that's what we often do. And we often are not willing to pay for the cost. We want a yeah, yes, yeah. cultivated, bespoke training plan. I want to have access to you daily. I want you also to be my mental coach. <laughs> I'm going to send you a million messages per day. But I really I want only want to pay man. you 500 yeah. rand per month. I'm not worried that you can't eat or travel or live your life or pay your medical aid. Um, so I do think that there is that kind of balance. So you have to be quite careful of what you're looking for. Mm. But, you know, again, Matt hit the nail on the head when you're starting out. That group, that social, that vibe. I mean, just that's what's so exciting mm. about it. And you're out there just doing it, having a good time and having a good time. A happy athlete is definitely going to be a good performing athlete. Oh, absolutely. And even, Fun first. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so you have, have you, I mean, both of you, in terms of your coaches kind of instruction, what is your, where's the ultimate, like where's the point where you say, I've now reached the pinnacle of what I believed was possible as a matter of interest. I mean, uh, you guys race, you, you raced a standard in Bloom and you did Bloom and well, both of you. You do well at halves, you've got, you've got Collins Cups, you've got Kona. I'm just interested to know as, as a sort of final point of where would, where when, would you see as where the, you can hang the your hat. target? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, I hate to say it, but I mean, Kona is still yeah. a Dream. goal, whether it should be or not. Um, uh, 40 years we've lived and breathed that, that as the pedestal, <laughs> yeah. the pinnacle. Um, yeah, like a great result there. Like no result is going to define you. Define I mean, career, like yeah. obviously winning Kona is, it's probably an exception to that statement, but. Um, and Matt, you prefer yeah. that distance ultimately. Mm. Yeah. You as I well. think, and I think you've always been, you've always been like, I mean, I think years back you were just naturally so good at Ironman. I don't know how. I mean, I think, I don't know what you did in Joburg days, but you obviously was career as well, same thing, but you just as an amateur, we're way ahead of, of the average amateur. I mean, <laughs> I mean, and it's, it's yeah. a hell of a long way. I mean, it's, that's, it's so far. I think, you know, you say I had a good race in Bloemfontein. I mean, you think Matt had a much better race. If you think that I got lapped by Emma, which is not what I would literally say publicly, but you know, in 2009, I was racing against her. We were racing. I was in the same okay. race. Okay. I was not in the same race in uh, Bloemfontein. Uh, uh, okay. So, so there is, you know, Position is not always sure. necessarily an indication of a good race. Was it a good race for me? Absolutely. She's From where so I've come, I didn't... Just, just for being there. Just to finish. Mm. For mm. me to run, I suffered that whole 10 kilometers. I had run twice before. <laughs> I was run walking. So so for me, and I think that's ultimately you know, what we always say, is that if you've laid it all out there on the day... Um, it's all you can do. That is in itself reward. If you're yeah. rewarded lucky enough to be rewarded with a position that's just the cherry on top but the actual you know you you only deserve as somebody said the fruits of your labor which is finishing to the best of your ability Amen not necessarily winning no, totally yeah absolutely sure. but yes like matt i have lofty goals you know kona mm. is one of them you know top 10 top five absolutely do I think I've raced my best race there? No. But again, it's the one day that you've got to get it all right. And the it's, pursuit of the perfect day. <laughs> and it's the week before. What did you do three months before? 
you know, you know, you look at the likes of Iliad Kiproji or, you know, Daniela even, there is so much ritualistic and routine that they've pretty much better down all the controllables and very little is out of their control mm. on race day. Whereas I think when you're a family man, when you're working a job, every day is a different day. Riley might be sick. He might not have a good night that night. I might have a client deadline that suddenly mm -hmm. comes up. Those are out of my control and that it. adds stress. It adds mental fatigue. You know, sometimes you get to the end of the day and you think, oh, I've got to go now train. And it's not you're physically tired. You're mentally like, how am I going to push mm -hmm. myself to this extent? So, so yes, I mean, I think we both try and control as much as we can, but um, that's all you can do. So you are humans after all. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. So thank you guys for your time. I think just your, your stories are amazing. I mean, incredibly aligned, um, and and the fact that you can come back from that says to us mortals that if you happen to have a passing bout of something, <laughs> it's not the end of the world. So keep at it, as they said. Consistency is everything, and as you've said, Anna, quite a few times, that fun is everything. Yeah, you guys have said so much that adds so much value that I hope the people listening out there are motivated to at least pick your first park run or a triathlon, a short one, whatever it might be your goal. Uh, because if these guys can come back from where they've been, there's mm -hmm. no excuses. And uh, any day outside is better than a day stuck over your computer. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> thanks, Paul. Thank you both. Thank yeah, you for thanks, coming. Paul. This conversation was powered by Zwift, the fitness app that turns indoor riding into a game. Explore endless roads, race riders from all over the world, and boost your fitness with monthly training plans and structured workouts. Join the world's training playground, where fun is fast. Go to Zwift.com and start your free trial.